Dead or alive, you are coming with me. What is this bullshit? Good trash genre cast. I love you. I know. Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Owner Cast, where people gather around a table and we discuss the films you will never discuss in a film studies course. Uh, this might be one of those exceptional weeks as we continue with our hashtag ABWD, always be watching Denzel Marathon as we look at his Spike Lee joint. Uh, he got game. Uh, very, very excited to be talking to you all about this. Let's introduce these uh, faceless, bodiless voices speaking to you from the corners of your room. Wait, the faceless old woman in the corner of your room? That's a different podcast. Who are you across the uh, way in the recliner, sir? Uh, my name is Arthur Gordon, and you know what? My cousin has that same arthritic condition. <laughs> very good, very good. Who are you, sir, on my left? My name is Dalton Stewart. Dustin, and I've been wondering one thing. Where, where Christ is in all this crisis. I've been wanting the same thing. I am the resurrection and the life. My name is Dustin Sells, and I'm so glad to be uh, with you all talking a little He Got Game, starring a character who's named Jesus. It's biblical. It's biblical. It turns out. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> such a good exchange. Oh, this movie's great. Uh, so uh, what we're going to do in this show, if this is the first time you're tuning into the Good Trash Media Network or uh, one of our other shows has brought you here to the Good Trash Genre Cast, is we need to warn you that this is not a review show. This is an analysis show. And what that means is that spoilers are sort of necessary. So uh, you might hear in the synopsis the, the sort of mission Denzel's on. Whether or not he accomplishes that mission would be something we would talk about in spoiler territory. However, what we're going to do is give you a brief reprieve that reprieve will be thus we will give a synopsis from the voice of the cinema from that point we will give our thumbs up thumbs down reviews all things at this point are spoiler free then we will play our game which sometimes has spoilers about this thing or other things but this week probably not most weeks probably not but there is a slight possibility so i want to let you know there's a mild chance something could slip at that point but then we get down to business that business being analysis and then all spoiler embargoes are lifted, and it's just like Havana, Cuba. All them spoiler cigars are coming your way right away as quickly as possible. So you have been warned. So without any further ado, as I always say, Mr. Arthur Gordon, let's hear that synopsis. A basketball player's father must try to convince him to go to a college so he can get a shorter sentence. Yes. Yep. Denzel's in the joint because he uh, killed his son's mother uh, semi-accidentally. Uh, yeah, quasi-accidentally. Quasi-accidentally. But it's murder. Um, at least it's manslaughter. I, I, when I watched that scene, I wasn't... Uh... Uh, we don't know how long he's doing, but as long as... The, the, the fact that getting out some days on the table, I'm assuming it's manslaughter. Yeah. Or murder, too. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, perhaps. But nonetheless, he's in the joint for this, and uh, because his son is such a hot prospect, the governor of the state... The of number New... one prospect in the country. Yeah, big deal, right? Money, Hardaway kind of stuff here. You know, Penny, Hardaway. 
way. Uh, that's that's the kind of level. That's a basketball reference that neither one of you even okay. Okay, cool. Okay, I know the name Penny Hardaway. Yeah, he played for the Orlando Magic, and he was with Shaquille. I thought you fucked up a James Bond reference. Oh, like Money Penny? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the better joke. Uh, but, yeah, he's he's a big deal. And uh, as such, the governor of New York wants him to go to his alma mater. And so the uh, enticement is to let Denzel loose for a week and uh, then try to convince his son to go to whatever it is, Big State University, which is like the funnest. Yeah, they, I love that they made up Tech U and Big State. Yeah. They're uh, such good fake university names. So goofy. But I like it, too. Uh, so he's going to have to go there. And as such, he is uh, there on the streets trying to convince his estranged son uh, to enter in a relationship with him again and also take this particular uh, scholarship offer so that he gets out of jail. And uh, hilarity ensues. Uh, there's dance. There's hijinks. There are musical numbers. There is a surprising amount of hijinks. I will say that. Uh, yeah, there, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> so uh, there you go. Without any further ado at this point, let's talk about what we think about the movie. Let's do those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Dalton Stewart, what say you? Guys, this movie is really good. <laughs> I, um, I love this movie. Uh, it's fantastic. Now, I will say this. It takes a little bit to get on the film's wavelength. The, the score is something we're going to talk about a lot, probably. Uh, but the score is often way different than what you're watching. You're often watching a scene that is very upsetting uh, with a very jaunty score. Um, and I think once you figure out what the movie's going for uh, is that it is taking the score from something like... Um, Oh god, it's it's mentioned in the credits because they use music from it, um, like a '60s baseball movie. Yeah, um, they're they're taking that kind of film and putting it in the projects in New York, um, uh, and that's just such a fascinating and awesome idea. I, th- I think Brooklyn specifically, um, Coney Island, Coney Duh, Island, uh, which is in Brooklyn. Um, I'm dumb, uh, but yeah, they 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 set this in the projects of Coney Island. Um, and again, Jesus Shuttlesworth, uh, that's uh, Denzel Jr., played by Ray Allen, uh, actual NBA player. Um, they, they put his story in the projects, and they give it the score of, like, a, a fucking Iowa baseball movie, a Field of Dreams-ass score. And it's jarring the first time you realize it because it, uh, Spike Lee kind of wisely doesn't throw it at you all at once. He lets it creep in. So I think he, he knows it's going to be jarring. Well, it's also sampled. It's like existing classical music. Yes. You, you know the beef it's what's for dinner campaign, right? The song is actually titled, uh, that's played uh, most often throughout this, is a song called Hoedown from the Rodeo Suite by Aaron Copeland. There you go. And that is, yeah, does this seem like something that belongs in a uh, urban a, a Spike basketball Lee film movie? starring Denzel Washington mm, set in Brooklyn. So yeah. Um, and again, I think Spike Lee knows that it's probably going to catch people off guard, so he, he creeps it in slowly. It doesn't hit you all at once, but eventually just becomes a central part of the score. Uh, and I, I definitely think what's been, there's a very, you know, we don't talk a lot about, uh, author intent here, right? When we bring it up, we bring it up to say, we don't care about it that much, but sometimes it is worth bringing up because Spike Lee is clearly going for something here. And I, I think that's what he's going for. And if that was his intent, uh, it worked for me. If that wasn't his intent, what a, a beautiful, uh, happenstance, but I'm, I'm quite certain that's probably what he was going for was, Hey, look at this fucking slice of Americana uh, because you can't pretend that black America isn't part of America because the story of black America is the story of America. You dumb dumbs. So you, you can't, 
have your your Iowa baseball movie and pretend that the the Brooklyn uh, Coney Island basketball movie is not also America because it's if anything more America uh, because it is a story that involves racial injustice. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's probably what he was going for. And again, even if he wasn't, wow, <laughs> way to fucking slam dunk on accident. Um, wow, uh, I, I did a ba- I, I did a, I did a basketball thing right you there. Did, did you guys see that? that? Was a sports reference. I, I did it on accident I'm too. So that was a great slam, Mary. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Oh my word! Uh, which is different than a grand Mary. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I adore this movie. Um, now I will say, as I'm sure we'll talk about, it's got problems. Number one, it could probably lose about 20 minutes. Number two, I actually really like Miyovich's performance, but we don't need her as a love interest. That's just honestly, and it, it, it serves a larger point about Denzel's character, um, which is a trap this movie smartly avoids. Uh, it doesn't make Denzel this prison reformed man who's this great dad. It makes him a very human and very flawed character. And the subplot with Mijovic plays into that. It goes on too long, and it just ends up being a little gross. Uh, the threesome scene, also a little gross. Um, so there, there, there's some sex stuff that's there that uh, is unpleasant, but um, and some gender stuff that's more than a little dicey. Um, and it definitely loses points for that. But overall, I wow, what a film. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, uh, render a verdict in terms of thumbs up and thumbs down. Uh, thumbs up. Okay. I, I, I like this movie a lot. I mean, I love it. I, I really do. I, I, uh, you know, spoiler alert for later in the, uh, the marathon, but this may be at the top of that list. Uh, when we look back at these eight movies, I, I appreciate everything. This is the second Spike Lee film I've seen. Uh, the first being Inside Man, which is a little more mainstream, yeah. a little more genre heavy. Uh, this is not, uh, it's a lot more indie. It's got a lot of those artistic flares and I appreciate it so much. Well. I and I think, yeah, I think him working in Inside Man being his, like, you know, highest grossing film, I think people lose sight of it often. I, I often lose sight of it that most of his career uh, are independent films. I mean, decidedly um, independently financed, like yeah. this film very much. But he's is. such a known, much like Tarantino, like there's such known quantities. Yeah. You forget where they kind of get their roots and where they work for the most part in their medium. Yeah. Tarantino uh, less so now kind of partnered with the Weinstein Company. Yeah. But you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I, I really appreciate this kind of the way he's kind of bleeding this documentary style into it and the way he's doing this editing. I love the use of flashbacks. I mm-hmm. think it's one of the best use of flashbacks I've ever seen. Uh, so many of those kind of like ghost flashbacks where, you know, a character looks off and then they see their memory yeah. playing out. I, I appreciate a lot of that that work being done. Uh, you've said a lot about the score. I, I would echo that. I, I love this score. I love the opening title sequence of America. Oh, it's America. It's just people playing bas- white basketball. People, black people, men, women, everywhere. Yeah. People... Um, People playing basketball yeah. in all settings. Yeah. It's so good. You're right. I, I love that so much. And it sets up so much of the tone. And it is really holding up that that mirror of Americana. And, and not only Americana, but also the American dream. Yeah. And I think in the 90s especially, we really got this push uh, where athletes, you know, formerly the major celebrities were actors in Hollywood. But in the 90s, I think it really took off where our athletes were the main push. And I think that's going to shape a lot of our context of our conversation later because of the push of uh, – athletics over academia and arts um but yeah i i really do uh, enjoy this movie and i enjoy uh, the performances i love the kind of rawness about it with uh, ray allen's performance and uh, and some of the other stuff uh, i agree dalton i think you could cut a lot of those subplots uh, at the at the end of the day this mm-hmm. is ray allen's movie and i think you know jesus is the character he's the focus and i think you could cut a lot of those other elements out that aren't really necessary to telling his story 
Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I also liked this movie quite a bit. Now, let me tell you something about me and sports movies. I usually don't like sports movies that are about sports. Rocky is about boxing. Right, and a little bit about poverty, and a little bit about you know lower class, sort of trying to find your way. But it's it's really a a boxing heavy boxing kind of movie. Rudy is a movie about football. Although every time when they bring them those jerseys, I get misty eyed, and I am not ashamed to say so. Um, and then when the uh, defensive linebacker begins to uh, chant his name to get him on the field, that's just two moments where I get real sad. But I like sports movies that are not about sports, and this movie is brilliantly. Name a me movie. two more. Just kind of help me. For- frame what you're saying movies about sports or that are not about sports. not about sports well this is not not about that uh, yeah. an, another sports movie that's really not a tin cup is not about golf mm-hmm. it's about this guy getting his life together it's about him finding out who he is and golf is sort of incidental to what's going on there in I tin cup i'd say Moneyball's in there too Moneyball, okay. yeah money ball is not about baseball. Right, i know what you're talking about and so those movies I prefer. This movie, again, is about a father and a son, estrangement and history, and trying to find your way around that, trying to do the best you can, knowing you messed up, and then you have your adult child that you are now having to find some way towards reconciliation. I, this, is, this is something that hits me in all the heartstrings. This does all the, you know, pushes all the buttons that needs to be pushed for mm-hmm. me. And uh, so I really, really like it. Arthur mentioned the flashbacks. It's not just flashback, though, that they're using. There's also sort of just the imagination and what's going on it's like it's like a peer uh peek inside the mind of a character there's a particular yeah, yeah I know uh, you, oh, i'm so excited to talk about the scene oh are you because i'm not no go ahead well there's a particular scene where uh, a friend of jesus is describing all the sex he can have okay that's not the one i was thinking yeah of. and that's that, that that was stuck out most to me and that's not actually happening but it could happen yeah, yeah. what scene were you thinking i was thinking about the one that you're talking about windows into what characters are trying to articulate it's the one where jesus uh he's talking about do you know what you fucking did to me with this name, Dad? Do you know what you did to oh, me? Oh, yeah. And he's talking oh. about mom would hang out the window every day. I'm yeah. playing ball. Well, see, that's and then a it memory. Cuts to, and it's that memory, yeah. right? And it, yes, it is memory, but it's like it's using his memory to like as he's talking about it in a way that I thought was really cool. I, I think, think that's what you're about to mention. Another point for Dal- uh, Dustin, I think, is uh, when they're, I think it's when they're riding around in the car and he's talking about, you know, do you really think you're going to make it out of here? And they mm. cut to this, you know, the, the mm-hmm. drug deals and things yep. like that that are taking place. With in the, 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 the pimp, whose name I forget. Yeah, the big pimp, Willie maybe or a drug, like maybe a drug dealer, maybe a pimp. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, sweetness. Got, no, Sweetness is the pimp. Uh, we're t- I'm talking about the... The one they get in the, the car. And they oh, that around. guy. Yeah, he's yeah, like, it's like Big Willie He's clearly someone that's like a couple years ahead of them in school or something before before he, you know, he started hustling. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I like those little windows of the soul. I like the way in which uh, those memories and or uh, images mm-hmm. are sometimes sort of altered. Uh, what, there's a moment in which Mila Jovich is talking about Sweetness, her pimp, and their relationship and the super saturated image. And it's very sort of Marilyn Monroe-esque mm-hmm. uh, and, and classy and, and in a way that's it's not, obviously. You know, it's, it's idealized. And so uh, it, Spike Lee can direct the dog out of a movie, guys. Dude, he's so good. Uh, th- that's what I want to say. This is this is amazing. Amazing. Uh, Denzel is doing his Denzeliest, uh, you know, sort of performance, and uh, you know everybody's doing a great job. And so, yeah, this is a movie I give very, very high marks in all categories. And so, I liked it very much, and I like having a conversation with you guys about this movie very much. But I don't want to just have it with you guys. I mean, we would do this anyway. Why would we have to like get together at eight thirty o'clock at night? At eight thirty o'clock? That's not weird. That's not how people make words. Uh, eight, eight dark thirty. Eight dark thirty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Arthur. 
I, I want to die. Uh, <laughs> Dark 30 and talk about movies. No, we want to have this conversation with a lot of you via social media. Dalton, say words about social media because I'm done talking for a minute. Good. Please be done. Uh, hi, it's me, Dalton. It's my turn to talk. Uh, yeah, you can find us in, in lots of places that involve social media. Uh, first and foremost, you can find us on Twitter. That's at good underscore trash. Uh, that is the place for all things um, good trash media. Uh, this show primarily right now, obviously. Uh, we also like to share lots of fun articles that we think are important in the film world. Uh, we, 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 we do our best to share like really good, I wouldn't even say think pieces. I would just say good criticism and good analysis. Uh, you know, important socially, uh, you know, movie news when it's important socially, things like that. Um, and also uh, the cast beyond the wall, which is just wrapping up its conclusion. Game of Thrones has come to an end for the season, and so shall also uh, Caleb Masters, the cast beyond the wall. Uh, but you can uh, stay tuned there for the last episode of that, which uh, as you're listening to this is probably available to listen to you right now. They're, they're usually available within a day of each other. So uh, do that. Go, go say goodbye to Game of Thrones. Uh, tell us what you think on there. Uh, tell us what you think about always be watching Denzel as a marathon. We're having a great time. Uh, and then you, we're also on Facebook that gets checked and updated a little bit less, but that's uh, facebook.com forward slash GTM. Uh, and you can do exactly the same things I just described to you over there as well. Um, last but certainly not least, we would appreciate it if you rate, reviewed, and subscribed to the show on your preferred podcasting platform because that does help spread the word. It makes us more findable. Uh, although I will, I'll say this, Good Trash Media is pretty findable um, in fairness. It, you know, uh, it helps that we made Good Trash one word. But uh, it, it comes up pretty quick in the Google searches. Uh, that's nice. Uh, but, yeah, do that. Uh, help us find more people. Tell your friends about us. Find the things. Win the points. Uh, listen yeah. to the show. Be a, be a good fan. Uh, okay. And also, you should do another thing. You should probably play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> And we're back with our game. This week's game is our favorite athletes turned actors. That's right. Favorite athletes turned actor brought to you by He Got Game. He Got Game starring Ray Allen. Ray Allen. His performance was good enough for Roger Ebert, so you better believe it's good enough for us. <laughs> Ebert, Ebert was a big fan. Of he was. He was. He's yeah. not the standard, though. I don't no, think. I know. Was, I just, he wasn't a big fan of, uh, what was that movie you like? Uh, yeah, Fight like, Club? Yeah, fuck him. He's dumb. He doesn't like Blue <laughs> Velvet either. Well, and in fairness, there are a lot of things wrong with Fight Club that uh, make it very easy to hate. Yeah. Um, and again, I, the older I get, the, the more I soften on it, to be sure. Uh, mainly for political and social reasons these days. So, yeah. <sighs> Racists gonna... like that movie. Ooh. Yeah. <sighs> Well, hey, let's um, talk about some athletes that are actors now. Uh, that's the game. So I'm curious to hear what people say. Go, Arthur, go. Uh, my first one is actually going to be a trifecta, and it's apropos that that uh, music is our intro to this game because I've got the WWF slash E trifecta of uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, who's uh, just a phenomenal uh, guy. He had such a an everyman quality to him. And, and he's a good he, dude, man. He's got great charisma, and, and I, I love him in the ring especially. But, uh, you know, he did some great stuff. I haven't seen all of his work. Obviously, uh, They Live is a big blind spot for me. But the stuff he's done on other television shows. Really? Yeah. So you, you, you picked Rowdy Roddy Piper, and you ain't even seen They Live. Yeah. That's exciting. But I'm, that o- I'm only really familiar with him a little bit from, you know, matches that I've seen. Yeah. But also... They live, mostly. Yeah, uh, But he's got some good spots on some other TV shows. Uh, it's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He's got a little run on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's just a lot of fun. Uh, the next one, obviously, is John Cena. 
uh, when WWE launched, they, they did their big studio launch to make movies, and I think they really wanted John to be their next rock. And it didn't happen with the Marine, but he's really found his niche as this kind of as as goofy, really goofy comedic, characters. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's great. So good in Sisters, and yeah. he's so good in Train. Oh, he, he steals those movies. I, I think. look like Mark Wahlberg. Ate Mark Wahlberg <laughs> is a great fucking line. Yeah, and he does. Yeah, he does. It looks just like that, uh, and so I enjoy it. But of, of course, I'm not going to talk about WWE stars without talking about Dwayne Dwayne the Rock Johnson Johnson uh, and. Watching The Rock in 98, you knew he was special. I, I mean, smell the it. Guy, I smell it. The guy oozed charisma. Like, literally, I'm pretty I'm sure he sm- oozed charisma. It makes me happy to just talk about him. Yeah. And I never would have imagined that 20 years later, he would essentially be running Hollywood. The guy yeah. pretty much runs if the he industry. Says, if he says, I'll be in this movie, it gets a green light. Yeah. That's insane. The guy's... Well, well, the highest grossing, one of the highest grossing actors. He's in the top five for sure. Yeah. Uh, he, he has. He's everywhere. He has Denzel cred. Yeah. He, he has what Denzel has, which is the ability to make any movie happen. And to think back, this was a guy who was the Scorpion King and then a bit part in Be Cool just became. The sequel to Get Shorty. Yeah. Just yeah. became a mega star. Yeah. And he, much, much love to him because he, he's great. He's a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing his movies because I know it's going to be, they may not be great. They may not even be good, but at least his performance is going to be a lot of fun. And so yeah. those are my that's my first pick. I, I, I agree. I love what you said there, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I will also mention a little love for Triple H in his uh, appearance in Blade, Blade. 3. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, that's right. He's the, he's the heavy in Blade 3. Yeah. He's got yeah. that, oh my God. that, really that adorable look, par- Pomeranian. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah man. Uh, him and Parker Posey are, uh, as the bad guys in the movie is real it's fun. fun stuff. Okay, okay, Dalton, let's hear yours. Uh, my first is uh, going to be uh, a, a little film... Uh, Start well. It's going to be Gina Carano, uh, specifically her work in a little film called Haywire. And I, I'm not the biggest uh, Soderbergh fan in the, in the world, but that movie is great. Uh, it's just Gina Carano beating up all of like the A-list uh, actors, just fucking pounding their faces in the mush. Um, she beats up Tatum, uh, Channing Tatum, and uh, Michael Fassbender, Fassbender, and Ewan McGregor. McGregor. Yeah, it's just she just beats the shit out of all of them. And it's the fight scenes are all so good. They are shot in such a stark way and um yeah i mean Soderbergh really has an eye for a fight scene and I, it's it's fun to see people who aren't you know known as action directors direct the hell of an action scene like that um and again he, he's got action chops from like the oceans movies and stuff but i i can't think of another movie he has uh that has you know fight scenes certainly not like this no. if there are fight scenes no. uh, arthur have you seen haywire i have seen haywire it's good right I, it is and i i really appreciate Soderbergh because He's a guy that is so outside the box because he sees things with different potential. He sees Gina Carano, mm-hmm. and he's like, we can shape a movie around her strengths and make something really cool. Yeah. He sees Sasha Gray, and he's able to tell an interesting story about you know her lifestyle and that. that her, her, her career as a yeah. pornographer, yeah. And, and in that, she's, I believe, a call girl, right? Is in, that, in that film, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, he and, just makes yeah, he just and Tatum, I mean, Magic Mike. It, yeah. It's based on you know Channing Tatum's yeah. history as a male dancer, and. Yeah. and it's it's almost this experimental quality to his filmmaking. Yeah, he's and, and again, I'm not the biggest fan of him, but I, yeah. I admire that. Yeah, uh, that ability to be like, you seem special. Let's yeah. do something for you. He's a risk taker, and I yeah. think he bets that's on people. Needed. Yeah, yeah, and he bet very wisely on Gina Carano because she is fucking electric in that movie, and she's good. In, uh, she's good as the heavy in the Deadpool movie. Yeah, she's like a fun like second lead villain. She's got comedy chops. She's got timing. 
Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't hurt that she can do her own stunts. I mean, that gives her, like, a, a world full of fun action uh, roles she can do. Um, I feel like she's in one of the fast movies. Uh, I, I, know, I think you're I know, right. I know Ronda Rousey's uh, in she's seven. She's in five, I think. She's either in five or six. I can't yeah. remember. Uh, but she didn't really get anything to do there. No. Uh, unlike in Haywire, where she does, like, a front power kick to Fassbender and puts him through, like, uh, a glass door. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. She kills him with a TV. She kills him with a damn television. <laughs> Uh, so that's my first pick, Judah Carano. Excellent, excellent. Well, like Arthur Gordon, I have something of a triple threat uh, in picks because I'm picking a particular sort of area of sport that sometimes doesn't get credit as sport, and that is martial sports, martial arts. Yeah, And definitely. so in ascending order of uh, my preference for these actors, starting with the least preferred but part of the uh, trifecta, Chuck Norris was yep. a uh, karate world champion yep. uh, for a long time, and then he went on to have an interesting career before he was Walker, Texas, you know, conservative. And then... And uh, so there was that. Uh, moving on to uh, the the muscles from Brussels, Mr. Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh, I I tell you what, I love Jean Claude Van Damme. Yep. It, it, not just his athleticism and his ability, but he does have a real charisma on screen. Yeah, for sure, he really does. I mean, he does often have the the sort of Schwarzenegger problem of the utterly unexplained uh, foreign accent. Uh, in the film Hard Target, he's Cajun. No. <laughs> Yeah, that I know, right? Checks out a bit less. And uh, he was, again, a kickboxer and, uh, again, a sort of a, a fight athlete. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what I think he uh, did, did some karate, karate as well. Did some yeah. karate tournaments as well. Kickboxing and karate were sort of his main sports uh, for that. Finally, the sport of wushu, which is still uh, – the Olympic Committee is still working on approving this for the Olympics. And I would love to see this happen. But one Mr. Donnie Yen was a pro wushu oh, he athlete. He was so good, dude. And he was amazing. He had great form work, good sparring work. He was just incredible. And as Dalton Stewart once said, it is his, but it's mine. Now I'm stealing it and taking it forever. You can never have it back. Donnie Yen beating up stormtroopers is my spirit animal. And, <laughs> I, did, I did say that, yeah. And, uh, it's so good. But no, it's not yours anymore. It's mine. Okay. You, you never said it. It's mine. Well, all right. I own it now. Uh, Bing, I own it. Manny Patankin in a Muppets movie. But nonetheless. Uh, you are on one tonight. I love I, it. I, well, I'm just, yeah. It's Anyway, so those are uh, my picks there, which is pretty exhaustive for me. We'll see what happens in my brain while we talk. But does anyone else have any additional picks? Um, Before before Arthur jumps in, I do want to just go ahead and list uh, uh, all the uh, martial arts that Donnie Yen is known for being well-versed in. You ready for this shit? (laughs) Tai Chi, boxing, kickboxing, Jeet Kune Do, Hot Aikido, Taekwondo, Karate, Muay Thai, wrestling, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, Wing Chun, and Wushu. Guess what? Don't fight Donnie Yen. Don't fight Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen loves fighting so much that he talks about how if MMA had been around like when he was still uh, doing uh, wushu competitions, if he had like found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in UFC earlier in life, he probably would have just been a pro fighter. Like He loves to fight. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh. I yeah. love Donnie Yen. I want none of that. All right, Arthur, let's see what you got. Uh, my, my next guy is someone who is just a blast, especially if he's in the right roles. Uh, and it's Jason Statham, uh, yeah. who spent 12 years uh, as a member of Britain's national diving squad. Yeah, man. So this I did not he, know. People forget swimmer. that he was an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know if he ever competed in martial arts. Uh, I know oh. he, he, he talks about how he made money off of them yeah. like for, as tricks, but I don't know if he competed. But, yeah, I knew the yeah. thing about the dive team, which is it's so pretty cool. cool. It's yeah. crazy. And uh, I just I like him so much. I think he's a lot of fun. You know, I think of Snatch. I also think of uh, Spy, where he plays – uh, just so a great parody of himself in other yeah. movies, and he, he's a lot of fun. He's fun in the Fast movies, and so I appreciate him. And I think he's done, he's gone on to do pretty well for himself. Yeah, yeah, he does okay. He makes he makes some bang. 
Yeah, no, he, he does all right. Dalton, you got another pick? <laughs> I, I do, actually. This is uh, one much like uh, Jason Statham, uh, an actor who's thought of more as an actor and less of a... Uh, a, um, an athlete, but it's Carl Weathers. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a pro football player for many yep. years before he uh, took on the role of uh, Apollo Creed. Uh, and that was very lucrative for him. Yeah. Yeah, he was, a, he was huh. a pro football player. That's why he's so fucking beefy, dude. Yeah. Well, yeah, but... Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, actors are just beefy now sometimes. Uh, that wasn't the case in the late 70s. Like, a- actors weren't just beefy for no reason. Um, <laughs> think about what our action heroes looked like in the, the early 80s before uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone, like, hijacked it. It's Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's not jacked. I mean, he's in good shape, but yeah. you know, he's he doesn't look like Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers got a huge arm, huge. Um, yeah, I mean, Carl Weathers is great. You don't need me to tell you that he's good in comedy. Yeah, he's great. In, you know, thing, things like Happy Gilmore. Uh, he's great in Predator. He's amazing in the Rocky films. Yeah, he's great. Okay, anybody else got any more picks? Uh, I, I will throw out one last one, and and this is one I didn't realize until I was doing some research. Uh, but it's Jason Lee. Uh, who was a professional skateboarder uh, before yeah, he really got his break. Uh, but I think Jason Lee is such a versatile actor. Uh, I love Underutilized. Him. He is. Uh, but he, he does so well as playing as a comic character, or he can play straight man. I think you can even kind of have this kind of antagonist, uh, kind of douchey role. Uh, you know, we see him. This, just the trade between Mallrats and Chasing Amy. Yeah. The way that character, I mean, those characters are two completely different performances. And yet operating within, like, a very similar wheelhouse yeah. in ways that are interesting. And then My Name is Earl is a lot of fun. He's such a joy on that he show. He's, he's a sweetheart. And I, I wish he got more work because I really appreciate Jason Lee. And I think he's definitely underutilized, isn't he? Yeah, I, I think he's got chops. Um, my last one is... Uh, uh, it's another uh, athlete film specific. It's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in Airplane. Uh, <laughs> because there is nothing funnier in the world to me since I was like 10 years old than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar saying, excuse me, ma'am, I speak jive. It's so fucking funny. That is funny. Um, it's so good. He's 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 great in that film. Uh, I, did he do any other acting other than Airplane? In uh, the sequel? I he's think he's in Airplane a, too, right? He's got a bit part in the Stan TV series. He is the oh, uh, raging prophet of... Um, predicting the end of the world oh, cool. interesting did not yeah. know that uh so that, that i just want to throw out cream because he's so fucking he's funny fine. in that movie all right so lastly and in conclusion i will give a sort of honorable mention pick that doesn't quite qualify an actor who went to sports went back to acting and that is mickey rourke oh um, oh jeez. <laughs> uh, right. he was this matinee idol and he went into boxing and then he came back and uh, went back and, and i think he's great i really like no him. he's great he's just yeah. i feel bad for his career yeah, yeah apparently he's uh he, he's he, he's not super easy to work with oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's what the what legend tells yeah that i did not know i was i was really expecting you to say bruce lee what what what, athlete, what sport did he play was he a martial artist no he didn't do competitive martial arts oh, okay. not, yeah. at all, yeah. not like donnie yen did yeah, yeah okay. he didn't do like uh gold medal teams i think he just trained in them yeah, and uh, okay. always wanted yeah, to be an actor trained and did um he did some professional dancing he made some money doing cha-cha he uh, won fun. a big cha-cha tournament in Hong Kong. There you go. That's, that's, I forgot about that. So, yeah. 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 But, uh, no, his martial arts was sort of uh, – it was professional insofar as he was okay. an instructor. But it wasn't it wasn't competitive, in competitive sports, okay. yeah, uh, as far as an aspect there. So, no, yeah. But otherwise, Bruce would have been – yeah, totally. Top of the list. Yeah, yeah. Bruce would have made my list. I mean, I just – Bruce is a cultural icon. I want to honorable mention uh, Mr. Mr. Terry Crews. Yeah. Um, who just kills it on uh, on his comedy? Who has stuff. had a, a much yeah stronger career as an actor than he did in sport? Yeah, because uh, he was what NFL for like one season, like oh. XFL for two. Yeah, XFL, which is, which is too bad. <laughs> I'm sure he he's huge. He's got, I I would be shocked to find out he was actually a bad ball player. He's so big. I assume he had like an injury or something. I heard rumor they were doing a thirty by thirty of uh, XFL. 
Really? Well, oh, they did a USFL one, and that was really interesting. The Remember XFL that, one will be fascinating. Because that is just full of tomfoolery. Yeah. No, we don't remember the USFL. Oh, okay. Well, that's like the 80s, early 90s. Yeah, we don't remember. Yeah, it was a thing. <laughs> Thanks, Arthur. I'm surrounded by fetuses. And we're going to move on. I'm tired of all this stuff. It's time to get down to business. And that business is analysis, and I'm excited to hear words being said. I guess we've got to hit sort of the hits, you know. There, there, there are definitely some obvious things yeah. that are worthy of some discussion. And the first would be whatever the athlete exploitation industrial complex that is college sports. So I've said those words. Who wants to say things now? I mean, yeah, I, I'm not a sports guy, but I know enough uh, about it to know uh, a gross thing when I see it. And, um, I mean, the strides have been made forward. They finally stopped making those goddamn video games. Uh, but, you know, that's they still sell the jerseys, right? I mm-hmm, mean, mm-hmm. it's a problem, dude. Um, we're making money off the backs of young people. Uh, and a lot of the time, it's young people of color. Um, yeah, there's plenty of white athletes who get taken advantage uh, of, too. But we have created a culture in which that is often perceived as one of the few way outs, few, few ways yeah. out of a bad financial situation, and regardless of race. I mean, that, that holds true. Uh, I mean, there's uh, many a tale of a working-class white person that made their way out of poverty because of sport, uh, especially in the U.K. Um, but, I, I mean, here... Obviously, because the history of the United States being what it is, race and uh, economics are inextricably intertwined uh, in really gross, uh, disgusting, and all-encompassing ways. So you can't talk about one without talking about the other a lot. Um, Really, you probably should never do it um, if you're doing your best to be intersectional. And again, now we're not even talking about the gender aspects here because there's plenty of uh, female college athletes that have their own struggles. Uh, but specifically talking about the, the fucking circus that is the um, collegiate uh, signing uh, and NBA drafts out of college, uh, you know, all, all of these things in NFL drafts out of college. Uh, it's gross, man. Um, and, and you're talking about a thing that uh, you're, you're building kids' hopes up on, on the idea that um, – this is just a stepping stone to their pro career. Uh, and I think a lot of college athletes don't, you know, don't buy into that. But there are plenty that do. Uh, and there are plenty that um, are going to have their uh, pro aspects ruined. A lot of uh, a- athletes that probably could have gone straight to the pros get their careers ended in college. And that's a real shame. Yeah, injury is a thing that comes up at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're talking about kids in their late teens and early 20s who are in pretty fucking obscene shape. They're going to hurt each other when they bounce into each other pretty hard. Um yeah, it's a bummer. I know enough about it to know it's gross, and I think uh, He Got Game does a really good job of kind of interrogating that, of the ways in which Jesus's gift is going to be taken advantage of by a world that doesn't see him as a person with hopes and dreams and desires, who doesn't see the kid who's having to race his sister, the kid who's trying to repair his relationship with his father. They just see, you know, a potential goat. You know, they they just see somebody that's going to win some rings, uh, and, and you know whose name's going to ring out. They don't see somebody who's got their their own problems, uh, and, and I think that really is, uh, you know, the the heart of Jesus' struggle and he got game is the heart of the problem of college athletics. Is it's it's monetizing the future of young people uh, in in, uh, in a way that's uh, especially capitalist and especially kind of um, perverse. 
Uh, but on the other end of that, and this isn't to defend, it's to go reverse. I, I, the big conflict yeah. here between Denzel and Jesus is is the way he pushed him as a kid. Obviously, yeah. the the murder, the incident it's, it's was the, part of that. that. That pursuit of greatness, right, There's, over everything else. Yes, and there was that level of emotional abuse that was uh, prevalent there uh, that really kind of drove a wedge between him to begin with. But, I mean sports not only for college and and seniors but sports in general for america i definitely think by the 90s there's this push away from academia and arts to athletics because that's your ticket out yes yeah it's sold so much as that golden ticket it is uh and if it's also it's it's the absolute culmination of the american capitalist dream of if you work hard enough and yeah. you put in the effort you can be one of the great ones. Yeah. And that's just not the case because guess what? If you want to be a great basketball player, you cannot be 5'10". You'll, yeah. you'll, you'll, you might be on an NBA winning team. You might be Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, yeah. you might, you might be Muggsy Bogues. Yeah. yeah. But what's the percentage? Exactly. Like the, I mean, there is a ceiling on your overall ability based on the way your body is built. And based on where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, you may be great at a AAA school in Podunk, Oklahoma. But when you start getting into colleges where you're competing and, you know, having to, you know, try to earn a spot against athletes from bigger schools who've had better competition and yeah. coaching, you know, your your dreams are shattered right there. We're not even talking about, you know, going past that. I, I, I feel like the emphasis on athletics has become so acidic, and it is because it's sold as a way out. Uh, but it's also such a source of revenue for schools, and it's such a uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. has become so important, you know, for, for schools to push sports because that's where they know their money's at. And you see it, I think, with a lot of liberal arts universities who, you know, have to survive off of, you know, from a personal background, uh, coming from a school like that where, you know. Well, I'll, yeah, one, one that all three of us went to. Yeah. yeah. Well, not UCO. I'm talking about a, a private oh. Christian institution. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a sp- much smaller population. Uh, has to make such a push to sports to try to bring in students, to try to bring in income, to try and grow. Uh, yeah. And and the emphasis in those schools and those situations isn't on the academics. And and students get lost in that, that aren't, you know, athletes. that don't want to be there for, you know, athletics. They're there to actually pursue their dream and what they want to do, but they're lost in the shuffle. And, and it's such a problem because you have coaches who will – try to influence you know professors or high school teachers or they'll try to you know oh it doesn't matter if he's failing we'll still play him you know it, it those things don't matter because the win matters because the money matters and and i think lee does such a great job in this movie of really you know shedding a light on how dangerous that you know that uh, zeal for athletics and being good in athletics and what that means to your life uh really means and i, and I love jesus in this movie because he is so grounded in knowing that his academia matters more than the sports because he he knows he could go pro. Yeah. He knows he's good enough, but he knows that if he really wants to take care of his family, like he's been tasked with and to get his sister out of a harmful situation, because there's some weird hints about his uncle. There is an implication that the uncle is sexually abusive for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I, he knows the right way out and so I, I i love the way lee is commentating not only it's at both sides of the spectrum i mm-hmm. think it's not only it is i mean it is definitely commenting on that college level of you know exploiting athletes and the bribes and the you know persuading in that way but it's also i think uh, reflective back on the the younger ages who are you know having to try to meet these 
parents who are trying to live vicariously through their kids Absolutely. and to, like try to meet these standards. And it's such a problematic institution, I think, in America that it, it, it's a dangerous. And I, I, I like the way Lee handles it here. And, I, and with most things in this film, sorry, I doesn't mean to jump in on you, but I was just going to say, I think, you know, we, Arthur and I both kind of focused a lot on the negative aspects of this, but the, the positive aspects of sport are present from the first frames of this film. And I, I think Spike does a good job to frame the film in that way to say, look, sport is not only important to our cultural identity, it's just important for people and in general, like games and learn. It's a, you know, it's, it's good. It is an overall net good that it exists, that we created games to play with one another, that we created physical contests with one another. That's an overall net good. And I'm going to say that before we get into all this heavy stuff. And I think he smartly frames it as so because everything in this movie has two sides. All right. Well, I think the fundamental problem for me is it's the enmeshment of, again, college-level sport and uh, the scholarships and Mm -hmm. the money-making sort of capitalist enterprise that it becomes. And and, and I'm not totally against that. I'll I'll say more about that. I'm okay, though, entirely with, uh, you know, sort of secondary school, elementary school sports. I think that's amazing and wonderful. And I'm I'm, I'm very okay with professional sport existing. You know, if there's a market, people want to pay tickets and do that kind of stuff, and those people are being compensated appropriately for what they're doing with their bodies, I'm, I'm totally fine with all those kind of things existing. I'm also okay with the idea that in order to play um, at a collegiate level, there might be scholarshiping involved. What I'm not okay with is this sort of massive, exploitative media empire that's being built. I think the way that we do sports in the United States is fundamentally inappropriate um, because it does create this high-pressure situation for 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds who are just not ready for that level of pressure, and it does create uh, this a very lascivious sort of atmosphere that's not okay uh, for, for people just sort of in that place in their that's lives. The same thing that happens to anybody when they get too famous, too young. Yeah. And it's, you know, yes, there are plenty of success stories. There are a lot of people that burned out, man. But I think the professional sport model in the UK with college, in relationship to college, I think is a much better model. How do um, they do things? Well, so, so every professional, uh, so more, well, I say every, I'm talking about mostly like union rugby and mm-hmm. I'm talking about soccer. Yeah. Right. But the professional teams have their own farm clubs. Like you can play for Manchester United when you're nine years old. Because like, you're playing for a Manchester Farm Club. Yeah, and they, they've got gazillions of them. And you can enter into that kind of stuff, and you can play. And, and all the uh, there's all kinds of other football clubs all over everywhere that you can play for. And you work your way up the ranks, and you can as you're better, you can play with better teams or whatever. And then that's sort of, again, it's like uh, it's like the uh, Parks and Rec, you know, sort of organizations of your yeah. city. Schools uh, are not a feeder for professional sports. Not though. at all. Now, you can play for your school team. You can try out and play for your school team, and that's just fine also. But that's not really the route into yeah. pro sports. You don't get drafted out of your college team, your your university team. And then as you're playing like U18 soccer or U18 rugby uh, there in the U.K., uh, you have a choice. You can keep playing in the system and and see if that's going to work out for you, if that's the best thing for you. But you can also have a choice to go to university. Mm -hmm. You can be scholarshiped some money, you know, in order to do that. And there are games, and people do watch them. Cambridge plays Oxford in those games, and people do care about that rivalry, you know, in the same way that people care about other rivalries here in the United States. Uh, but it's not nearly as big of a deal. It's not nearly as high pressure. And most of the play that happens in sport in those universities is intramural play. It's really considered this is on the down low. Yes, we've got a stadium. It seats some people, but we're not just dumping more and more and more money all the time. And the monies that are received from sport are funneled into academics rather than donation money being siphoned away from libraries and centers, you know, maybe film studies departments with, you know, I don't know. 
projection screens. Not having that and then, then moving that money over to build Boone Pickens Stadium. Oh, I just named him. Sorry. Uh, there at Oklahoma State. Yeah, what's he going to do? Well, yeah, he, no, he chase you out of the PhD yeah, program. They're not, they're not, not going to find me. No. Uh, but that sort of thing is madness to me. And the whole time this is happening, again, these 19, 20-year-old kids are put under immense pressure. I have every – okay, as a professor who teaches student athletes, sometimes people give this like, well, you know, and then they get a pass, like academics doesn't matter. And, and, and I'm sure there are professors that exist that do that kind of thing. I'm not one of them, and I don't know anyone like that. I don't know anyone who does that kind of thing. What I do know is this. Athletes go to practices for long hours a day. If they're under certain levels of scholarshiping, they're not even allowed to have jobs, not even allowed to make money in any other way. And uh, they're under high pressure to perform well, especially in sort of an NCAA Division I kind of school. And when that kind of stuff's going on, it is it is absolutely an exploitative environment in which, yes, you're compensated with a full tuition scholarship, which is perhaps quite expensive. But that's nothing compared to the level of money that's being made off your back. It's, it's still money Bingo. without wages, or at least it's money with extreme unfair wages. And uh, no way to sort of uh, rectify that compensation. I I think they had to pay him. You know, um, you get paid for any other job that you do in college. You get paid to be a teacher. Uh, you, you get paid if you work in the student union, baby. Yeah, yeah. You, and I work at the stadium. Yeah, I work at the stadium, and this is what my yeah. labor brings in in revenue. And so the market ought to determine a certain salary for this level of play. That's Un- all I'm saying. Unions. Um, so yeah, that that was worth talking about. Yeah, uh, so there's uh, a lot of that, and of course that is the hard pressure, and we do see uh, the sort of racketeering that happens in college athletes sometimes. And of course when the NCAA catches you throwing hookers through somebody's window or uh, sending you cars, uh, you get suspended from um, bowl play if it's football. or. You're finals. clearly making a specific sports reference, and I have no interest in it, um, other than so much as that um, sometimes athletics breeds a um, – toxically masculine environment uh this film is not that interested in with the macro of of sports though i think it is obviously much more interested in the micro of uh, sport uh, as uh, the way uh, a relationship between a father and son is fostered uh, and how that can be really disgusting Mm -hmm. right Uh, how that can be perverted and um you know there's plenty of films about the pursuit of greatness right uh and i think this film is up there in the pantheon of films about like greatness at all costs uh and again normally it's the the person trying to achieve greatness uh that struggles with this and i, I think it's really interesting that jesus uh as far as we know doesn't really have to you know he, he practices he stays mm-hmm. sharp but uh his his dad beat him uh with basketball mentally and emotionally so badly that he can't help but be good at basketball at this point that's kind of the implication we're given yeah is that at the expense of being a good father denzel made his son great um, and that's a really kind of interesting twist on the the Pursuit of Greatness movie. Uh, like, you know, films like Whiplash, right, come to mind with Miles Teller uh, and this toxic relationship with his uh, music t- teacher played by, um, oh, my God. J.K. Simmons. Thank you, J.K. Simmons. Um, and, you know, that, that's about Miles Teller's, you know, fall into darkness. This film is got this really interesting, and that's the path that a lot of those Pursuit of Greatness movies take. This one takes the path of... No, this wasn't a choice Jesus made. This was made for him. This choice was made for him by his father. I wouldn't guess the percentage, but the percentage of professional athletes who had uh, very, very overbearing, I'd, I'd guess possessive more parents. More than a couple. Uh, I, I, vast majority would you be. You think so, would, probably? Absolutely. Absolutely would be my thought there. Uh, that really pressed and drove. And, and can we just all agree right now, drunk little league dad is the worst. Yeah. You know? It's not good. And, and it's not that, a good look on anybody. 
Yeah, and and so it, it addresses that problem, and it, it's not okay. And of course, that sort of pressure can be put on children in any number of things. You know, absolutely, if you're, you're involved in yeah. an instrument or whatever. You know, those things can happen as well. But it's gross. I don't like it at all. Yeah, it, it's it's disgusting, and uh, it's very upsetting to me. I concur. Uh, and I think that, I mean, is there anything else that we want to go ahead and use that to spe- segue specifically into the father and son relationship? Uh, the relationship itself is just an issue of forgiveness. I mean, yeah, we can definitely talk about it. I mean, it, it, it's it, in some ways, it is an extreme example, as film typically yeah. is. You know, this sort of manslaughter, sort of second-degree yeah. murder incident. But what it really comes down to is you did something bad. You know, you said something you shouldn't have done. You you were flawed. I, I found out you weren't a god after all. You were an indeed human, you know. And mm-hmm. when that discovery happens, it's sometimes very, very difficult for fathers and sons. And uh, I think it sort of beautifully depicts that without making angels out of anybody. Yeah. And that's a good thing. You know, I, I know we, we brushed on this a little bit um, in, in the opening, but I really was constantly struggling with whether or not jake was going to grow and the more it became clear that jake was not going to grow as a person throughout this film i really did like it it simultaneously like really kind of caught me off guard in a way that i wasn't emotionally prepared for but it also made me love the movie that much more that jake isn't just you know this uh you know this this jailhouse convert who you know found god and uh and now everything's better no jake is still struggling with his own shit like yeah he's going through a lot and he hasn't worked through all of his issues you know he's locked it down inside uh and hasn't really gotten to the things that made him want to make his son be great um whether or not it was the right thing to do you know in, in the long run he hasn't really wrestled with that yeah i i really appreciate that kind of realness about these characters that we we have no nobody in this movie is good i mean Everybody here has flaws, I shouldn't say. Yeah. Everybody here has, you know, something that, you know, that's, you know, everybody has a vice. And I, I really appreciate that about this film because I, I I hate when everything gets wrapped up in a nice, tidy package because that's not life and, you know, life's not that cut and dry. And so with, especially with, you know, Washington's performance here, I, we, we do want to like him at the beginning. And, and I think we still kind of like him through when we realize what he's about, I mean, it's, it's not except that he's, he's not an antagonist. He's just, he's human. And, you know, to try to accept him for those flaws, much like Jesus has to do, you know, can we kind of get past that and move past that? You know, this is a guy who we don't really know, you know, he didn't get the same opportunities that Jesus is getting. And yeah. he's probably just as good, if not better basketball player. And and so to try to be with him on that journey, I, th- I think it's interesting because we don't get characters like that often where we see just people that are, you know, us that are, you know, people we know on screen. And I, and I think that adds a lot of weight to the narrative. And I think it adds a lot of, uh, of impact emotionally for what's what's going on here. Yeah. Can I keep it real for a second? Yeah, man. Can, yeah. We, keep, can we keep it real here? Yeah. It's a real talk on the Good Trash Owner cast. So, you know, uh, we've been known to do that. We, we've had these conversations before about fatherhood and estrangement and uh, disappointment and those kind of things. And, uh, you know, my own journey, I've, I've had lots of that with my dad. And uh, so, you know, there's an easy identification there uh, that happens. But I also want to point out something else that's, uh, that's happening in Jesus' performance as well. Because there is uh, something, or rather, Denzel's response to what happens when jesus sees this in him because as the only father at the table there are these moments as your children do realize you're not a god and it's 
irritating. <laughs> I, mean, you know, I, I, I don't mean that as a joke. I mean, no, yeah, it, no, it, I, it, I, I, I totally. It shoots your horse right out from under you, yeah. man. I mean, it, it real, and and then and there is a there is a sense in which sometimes the first response is in fact anger. There, there, there's a real sense in which it's really very difficult because uh, as a father to have been viewed in such a way and then to see that sort of flawed humanity, it, 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 it take, it, it's, it's a challenge. It, it takes some real um, uh, takes some real sort of personal fortitude and virtue to be able to allow them to see that and not try to find some way to either puff up or no, try to survive. To not be mad that they've seen your weakness. Yeah. And so uh, that what part of what Denzel is doing is he's acting out that hurt. He's acting out that injury at having been seen to be flawed and to still keep reaching out and try to do it. And he's, there's that moment where he gives his son that stiff-armed hug, you know, and it, that's not returned. And uh, you, you see all the anger and sadness all at once in Denzel's face. And uh, it's a very, very beautiful performance. And that is that there's some reality there that, again, sometimes we, we, we miss because we are typically as a culture, we focus more uh, from the uh, sort of child side of those relationships. And uh, I just want to throw out a little dad stuff, I guess, uh, there with it. So, yeah, I know what that's like. And it's not pleasant. I, and I think it does really culminate beautifully. You know, Arthur just mentioned that um, we are given every implication to believe that Jake, Jake had some real potential as a ball player. Um, and, and there is that moment where, uh, you know, Jake went hard on a 12 year old. Uh, they played one-on-one and he fucking went hard in the paint. Uh, he was yeah. mean. Uh, yeah. he played very aggressive and a little drunk. Um, so all Jesus has wanted since he was 12 years old is to beat his fucking dad in a game of one-on-one. And he, that's, and I think there's this beautiful moment where Denzel suggests it. And I think Jake, you know, the character that Denzel plays was keeping that in his back pocket. I think he probably knew all along that that's all it was going to take to get Jesus to like spend some time with him was to offer that one-on-one game. Um, Even if he had to offer it, like use that anger to like get him to agree to the game. I I think he knew that was going to work. Now, do I think Jake let his son win? Hell no. Jesus beat him real bad. Show did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I, I think it's a really beautiful culmination of what we've been talking about is you know, he, he, not only does he get to see that his father is human, he gets to prove that his father is human. And he gets to say, look, I get that you want to like make this better, but you're not the boss of me, dumb, dumb. I'm going to fix this on my terms and on my time. Cause I'm the one that got hurt. Not you. I'm the one that got hurt. So I'm the one that gets to say when it's better. Um, and it's a really beautiful, beautiful way to show that without saying it, to show him saying this relationship exists on my terms, even if the only way they can say it is for him to dunk on his ass. <laughs> it's a great ball game too. Uh, it's really yeah. fun to watch. It's well shot, but um, just thematically and emotionally, I think it's a really great culmination of this father son relationship, this dynamic that we've been talking about. I guess the last thing I would say in conclusion is just simply this. The only way to a good adult relationship with your children is through that humanization that that de deification when that happens then on the other side of that because if you try to remain a god always in their eyes they will despise you and so i mean it's just it's what's going to happen and you can't react in anger you can't sort of thunder back like zeus on olympus you have to allow that humanity to come through and it's uncomfortable it's icky and it's not pleasant but uh this is that's what happens here in the scene is that he he and he doesn't let him beat him he 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 gets beat you know, he, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and he knows he's going to lose. I, yeah. 
I think he has in the back of his yeah. head that he might be able to win. I mean, I think he's. I say I might be able to give him some competition. Yeah, I think he thinks he's going to keep up better. Yeah, yeah. Because um, what they end up going fi- uh, f- 11 5. 11 5, yeah. yeah. For like just six unanswered. Uh, Lucky five. Here's, here's a fun fact. Apparently, uh, they didn't script that game too tightly. And uh, Denzel really did score a couple on Ray Allen, yeah. like more than a couple in a row. And Ray Allen was like, "All right, fuck this," and then <laughs> and then beat Denzel pretty bad. Yeah, that's good. That's fun that, isn't that fun? Denzel uh, scored on Ray Allen. That is good. I like that. Yeah, and it's that's like a... Iverson getting the crossover on Jordan. That's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I found there, there's some good trivia about uh, the basketball being played in this movie. So fun stuff, fun stuff. All right. Well, last thing I want to talk about in terms of analysis then is just simply code switching. Uh, Denzel um, speaks differently to different humans. Tell me about code. Give me some definitions of code switching, Dalton. Well, I think we talked about code switching a little bit when we talked about Devil in a Blue Dress. Yes. Because, uh, and again, we're just going to echo some of that same stuff. Uh, it's worth talking about, though. And it's something that Denzel performances are always. Op- I feel like a lot of his performances operate in this uh, in some extent. Uh, but code, sw- code switching is just the idea that uh, you talk differently to different people. I mean, in the most simplest terms. Uh, in the conversations, uh, you know, about when we talk about uh, race and specifically uh, African-Americans uh, in American culture and um, the portrayal of African-Americans in culture, um, we are fortunate enough when, when black actors uh, or black artists rather make their own art, we get to see this a lot more. I think uh, some really prominent examples are Keem Peel, uh, specifically their movie Keanu, but they had a lot of sketches. So if this is ringing bells for you as I'm saying this, you know what code switching is. People talk to differently to each other. I talk differently to Dustin and Arthur off-air than I do on-air. Um, we just modulate ourselves. But what Denzel does as a performance is something that you see written a lot about. You know, And again, I can't speak to this personally because I'm a white dude, but you see written about a lot academically but also in art is black people, uh, especially, you know, there's a big difference between how a black man interacts with white dudes uh, and black dudes and just how they navigate race and gender relations. Um, and again, there's been some really great art about this, uh, specifically, you know, we talked about comedy just a second ago with Keen Peel, but something Denzel did in Devil in a Blue Dress and something he does here. Um, and he just does it so effortlessly and so beautifully and so interestingly. Uh, he, he, you know, he talks to uh, the black pimp sweetness um, in a very different way than he talks to, um, oh God, the, 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 the shitty kid that's, uh, DeAndre, DeAndre, thank you. Throat punch. Yeah. There are two people that he has an antagonistic relationship with and yet talks to them in very different ways, uh, based on age. Uh, and he talks to the warden in a very different way because when you meet him with the warden, you're like, well, he seems really buttoned up and you know, like, and you're like, oh, he was okay. He was talking to the warden. Like, He's, you know, he, he, he knows who he is. The, the war, he's not changed because of prison. That's just, you know, he had to put on the prison face because he had to talk to the warden. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to watch him navigate uh, throughout the film. Well, he talks to Jesus different, too. I mean, he has a, he has a, he has a father's voice when he talks to, to and Jesus. It's really interesting, especially the, you know, the two people he has the most emotional scenes with are Mia Jovovich and uh, Ray Allen. And Denzel does very different, different things in both of those performances. And, uh, Denzel just always is making really great choices with his line deliveries. Uh, you know, yeah, he'll bring out the monologue. He'll bring out the fire and the fury. And we talked about that when we talked about um, uh, Crimson Tide. We talked about the way he comes at people differently depending on how he's trying to appear to them. And again, th- this is not just code switching we're talking about, which is an important thing, you know, socio- sociologically and anthropologically speaking. It's just a thing to talk about Denzel, about what makes him a great actor is his awareness of humanity as it exists and his way to capture that on film is really special. 
Yeah, and I think it's just a great illustration of the fragmentation of society and how we do wear these different hats. As everyone knows, uh, when I'm not talking on air, I only ever talk like a pirate. That's the only way I ever speak. That's true. I... Yeah. And, uh, you know, and most people don't like it very much. No, it's so. awful. That's terrible. We hate yeah. it so much. <laughs> if, we wish if, you would stop. That, that's why we podcast. That's all the biggest reveal wrong. of uh, Dustin's age, though. <laughs> yeah. He speaks like a pirate. <laughs> I, I thought, I, <laughs> <laughs> you got him again, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> we got you again. Now we got you all giggling. <laughs> I am done with you a lot. Let's run a verdict with this film. Uh, make it walk the plank and discuss whether or not. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> film, <laughs> shelf for trash, Elster instead. What say you? All what say you won? What say you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon? The shelf or trash? Elfer instead? Yeah, this is a hard shelf. Definitely, quickly. Uh, I, I I like it a lot. Um, to pair with it, I'm going to pick a couple of the movies that are doing, in a sense, the same thing. Uh, in that uh, we've kind of constructed this film around a sports personality. Uh, and playing to their strengths. And so I want to mention again Haywire, uh, which is one of my else's because it's what Soderbergh is doing there is what he does several times in his latter uh, 2000s career uh, with, uh, like I said, Sasha Gray. He does it with uh, Gina Carano and he also does it with Channing Tatum. Um, and so I think it's it's just interesting to kind of do those kind of stories. Uh, the other one I want to mention is Tulane Blacktop uh, as well, which does a similar thing with, um, I can't remember the musicians right now um, because I'm a joke of a uh, critic um, <laughs> let me put it up right quick because i can't remember anything uh but it's a really good movie it's doing the same thing it's kind of uh, doing that counterculture thing uh in the 70s in the new hollywood uh but it's uh james taylor and dennis wilson of the beach boys um oh, as the uh, as the leads in that who are cross crossing i believe i don't know if it's Route 66 but they're crossing across america and we're just kind of following this kind of story of these two men as they travel across the states and telling this kind of counterculture tale uh, that was really prevalent in this time and it, it's, it's a very interesting movie i think and it's doing a lot of the same stuff where we've taken these personalities from uh, a, a different arena you know here it's music and we've kind of crafted a narrative that's utilizing uh, their personalities from that arena uh, to tell a story and so i think that kind of pairs well uh, especially with what uh, lee's doing here uh, with he got game and uh, i think haywire is probably the best example uh, from soderbergh's own work as well i think that's a good trifecta of films excellent i like that very much mr dalton stewart what do you say shelf or trash else or instead yeah i'm gonna put it on the shelf it's so good um obviously you want to you want to catch up with spike lee a little bit um we had a really hard we knew we weren't gonna do malcolm x uh it's too good for the show um also it's over three hours long so we just knew we weren't gonna get around to to malcolm x but we very came very close to doing mo Betta blues um denzel has uh you know got three uh, four very notable we also thought about doing inside man Denzel has paired very notably with Spike Lee. So that's a good place to start. Uh, the, you know, probably one of the best places to start is with uh, Do the Right Thing. Uh, you know, not his first film, obviously, but a great place to start um, in, in getting to know um, Spike Lee's work because he is a very prolific filmmaker. Um, and I, I think people kind of forget that. But he, he put out a movie like every three or four years for the last 30 years. I mean, and again, sometimes he do uh, – I mean – he got game was 98 and then 2000 he had bamboozled so like he puts out a lot of movies uh so definitely uh not a bad place to start because we couldn't decide which spike lee uh, collaboration we wanted to do and we knew we wanted to do one of his collaborations with denzel so start there um i, I really wish uh now, now i had to see my blues because I, I just want to see either yeah. one of them um 
and then I'll finally uh, finally catch up with Malcolm X, and then I'll have completed all of the uh, the, the Denzel Spike Lee pairings. I'm excited about finishing this journey. Um, but I also want to recommend a film that I really think is actively borrowing from He Got Game, and that's a film from last year called The Phenom. Um, I think I I don't know if I've ever talked about it on this show before. I know I talked about it on People's History, but uh, it's got Johnny Simmons, um, who you'll recognize as Young Neil from Scott Pilgrim, is one of his most notable works. Uh, but um, he he plays this kid named Hopper. Um, who is a, a, a rookie, a major league rookie pitcher who is just having a real bad case of the yips. And he goes to this uh, sports psychologist, uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, who's helping him work through his shit. And all the shit comes from his dad, Ethan Hawke, who was a, a real Jake Shuttlesworth, um, mm. who got drunk and made him run wind sprints at three in the morning. Um, and, and honestly, the, there is a less, there seems to be less love uh, in the phenom than there is in he got game. Like, uh, uh, the uh, the abuse that Johnny Simmons' character suffers at Ethan Hawke's character is a little bit more out and out, physically uh, and verbally abusive. Uh, Jake definitely, uh, you know, is not appropriate with Jesus at all, and is definitely abusive with him. Uh, but there also seems to be kind of a gross, perverted, you know, love there. Um, you don't really, I don't recall seeing that much in the Phenom. It's pretty gross, and it mm-hmm. is pretty self serving and pretty. I'm going to make sure that I'm responsible for you being the greatest pitcher of all time. It's that kind of thing. Um, but again, it's, it's definitely coming from a very similar place. It's doing similar things. Um, and a, just a really solid small movie from last year that I really like. So again, that's the Phenom. Uh, and it's much like this movie, a, a sports movie. It's not really about sports. It's about fathers and sons. Uh, and abuse and trauma. Um, I also want to recommend another sports movie I like quite a bit that's more about sports than He Got Game, but uh, one that I, I like a lot that I keep wanting to do on the show, and we'll find time for it someday, but it's Goon, uh, starring Sean William Scott and Leo Schreiber. Uh, I like it a lot. Arthur, have you seen Goon? Okay, I wasn't sure if you had. I know you hadn't, Dustin. Uh, it, it's it's all about uh, being a sweet boy who's good at hurting people, uh, but it's also about how that kind of career is not long for this world. I know there's a sequel coming out soon, so I we may have to hit it this year. I think it's out this it's year. It's about yeah. being a sweet boy who's good at hurting people. It's the Arthur Gordon story, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think you would both really like this movie, so we got to get catch up, get caught up with it at some point. But I think mm. you both like it a lot. So those those are some films to uh, pair with He Got Game, which is obviously going to be on the shelf. Outstanding. Um, I'm also going to say shelf. I mean, really, this movie is so good and for so many reasons. Uh, the first thing I'm going to recommend is to chase down um, uh, an experimental film. I guess you'd call it as a video installation. I saw it recently at the Dallas Museum of Art. It's by a, a visual artist called Mark Bradford called Practice. And uh, just to briefly describe what's going on it is uh it's it's a meditation on sport and masculinity um and gender and sexuality Uh, there is a a character who is uh again sort of uh doing some warm-up drills with a basketball goal while wearing an la lakers uniform that's been converted into a giant hoop skirt that's Um, awesome and madness ensues uh but practice 2003 mark bradford is the artist and it's definitely worth your time and worth looking into uh the other selection i'm gonna have is just a basketball movie about uh more about that college recruitment thing but it's really trying to put a finger on the pressures to violate those ncaa rules it's a nick nolte film called blue chips um starring efrine penny money hardaway also shaquille o'neal and uh, yeah they, they they do a fine turn in it. It's, it's a bit more about sports. It is sort of an investigation of NCAA rules, and it seems like an everyman kind of story uh, in some senses. But it's a lot of fun, and uh, Shaquille got some charisma. Got some charisma on screen. Shaquille's funny. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He has a good time. Yeah. He, he, 
he's not one of the strongest uh, athletes turned actors, but no. he's got something special. That's for sure. Later this year, the Good Trash Genre cast discusses Steel. Oh my god, we could do Kazam. Kazam. Steel. We What's could, your favorite scary movie? <laughs> we could like not. Kazam. Uh, all right, I'm done. Uh, so there That's you not go. A scary movie. Dear listener. <laughs> You're um, just going to do the whole thing by yourself, aren't you? You've obviously never seen Shaq act. <laughs> I've died. He was ready to do the whole thing by himself. I know. Okay, so we're done with this movie. We got to do another one. What are we doing next? Dustin, we are doing. Uh, so we, we've gone through this marathon in the eras of Denzel, right? For the most part, yeah. We, we tried to, we, we mixed things up a little bit with that first starter of Devil in a Blue Dress and, and Crimson Tide, but we've tried to stick, uh, kind of chronology, chronologically speaking, in the eras of Denzel, as defined by W. Kamau Bell and Kevin Avery on their uh, now um, completed podcast, Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time, period. And they've got the glory era, which is, you know, the supporting actor Denzel era. And I don't think we're going to get to any of those. We really did want to focus on his star turns. But towards the end of that era is Crimson Tide, where he's still a yeah. star, right? So that's kind of the glory era. This is the He Got Game era. They actually call it the He Got Game era. And it's Denzel, like, kind of becoming... The, one of the Hollywood leading men. You know, he's still doing some smaller movies. He's doing this. He's got this run of films with Spike Lee in the the early '90s to late '90s. You know, starting with Malcolm X and Mo Betta Blues, um, and going through to this and culminating uh, in Inside Man. But before Inside Man, you have the birth of Denzel Washington, the icon, the Oscar winner, the living legend. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to watch uh, the movie that Denzel got his Best Actor Oscar for. That's Anton Fuqua's Training Day. I've heard Dalton seen it. Now, it has been mentioned uh, that I have seen this film before on many podcasts across this fine network. Um, so, yeah, I, I've never actually got to talk about this movie uh, on any of our shows, like in an, uh, you know, an analytical standpoint. So I'm super excited for that. I think we're going to have a great time. Uh, Dustin can't stop looking at me. Yes, we'll talk all about it next week. I have seen Training Day before, um, <laughs> but we're going to talk about Training Day because it is kind of like the the birth of this third phase of Denzel Washington's career, and that's the icon era yep. um, that's often called the man on fire era on uh, Denzel Washington's greatest actor of all time period. It, it is this era where he is just the coolest dude who can do whatever he wants, um, and it's going to start off with uh, his partnership, his first partnership with Anton Fuqua, who's one of his... Uh, now current uh, frequent collaborators uh, as of, you know, recent years. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be an exciting time. Maybe so. I'll tell the story about the first time I watched this movie when I was assigned it in a seminary class. That's really funny. Are we just going to completely skip over the Preacher's Wife era? I, yeah. I feel like Preacher's Wife era probably is in the He Got Game era. Because that's, what, 96? Yeah. That's around the same time. That might be in that glory era, though. Yeah. You we're, sure we don't want to slip that in instead of Training Day? Arthur, we're not going to watch Preacher's Wife instead of Training Day. You sure? Yeah, no, I'm positive. I don't think you really thought long enough about this. Look, all I'm saying is this, this show's called The Good Trash Genre Cast. Yeah. And right. in only one of those two movies does Denzel Washington say, King Kong ain't got shit on me. And it is not The Preacher's Wife. Are you sure? I'm, I'm pretty of, positive. I am almost a thousand percent <laughs> sure, having never seen The Preacher's Wife, that Denzel Washington does not say that in that movie. I little... think we should watch it next week just to be sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, Training Day might be too good. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a pretty <laughs> sleazy cop movie, but yeah, it's it's definitely a middle brow cop movie. No. But I think it's definitely squarely in our. I our think movie. the preacher's wife day. actually might be too bad for us. Yeah. Training Day is the one where uh, Mark Wahlberg is a sniper. That's right. 
Fuck off. Training day is the one where uh, Sylvester Stallone fights uh, Carl Weathers. With his mom. With his mom. (laughs) You guys are maniacs. (laughs) Hey, guys, we have a good time talking about movies, and we have a great time having conversation because that's what the movies are all about. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, a product of Good Trash Media. For more Good Trash Media content, visit GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro is a sample of the Wonder Woman score from Junkie XL and Hans Zimmer. And our outro music is He Got Game by Public Enemy. My wandering got my wondering with crisis and all this crisis. Hating Satan never knew what nice is. Check the papers, well, I bet on ISIS. More than your eye can see and ears can hear. Year by year, all the sense disappears. Nonsense perseveres, prayers lives with fear. Beware, two triple A's. It might feel good, it might sound a little something. But damn the game, if it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got game, she got game.